So if uh, someone came up to you and asked you, um, how would you define yourself? How would you answer that? Would you, like, talk about your education or your job? Or would you talk about, you know, the fact that you're like a mom or a dad or a kid? Would you define it in terms of your interests or your gifts? Or would you talk about the relationships that you have and how those define you? Would you talk about the results of that really cool personality test you did? If you're over 30, that's Myers-Briggs. If you're under 30, that's Enneagram. And if you don't know what an Enneagram is, you just proved that you're over 30. So it's all good. Well, the statements of Jesus help define who he is. They certainly are not everything about him. I mean, you, as John said, you could fill the sky with volumes and still not express everything about who Jesus is. But Jesus makes some really important statements in the Bible, and he, he starts these with, I am. He says, I am. And in the book of John, we have several of these. The first one is Jesus says he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And we actually unpacked that over two Sundays in March, March 24th and 31st. So you can go online and check that out. Jesus also says, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. All of these claims that Jesus makes are way beyond what any human can do or who any human can be. And so either this person, Jesus, is a, is a human who has complete delusions of grandeur or this is God in the flesh. Each week we're going to look at one of these I am statements of Jesus and unpack it a little bit, but then figure out what does that mean then to me? What does that mean to you in our lives? Before we do that today, let's pray. God, it's um, amazing to begin to unpack your word and just see how it truly makes a difference in our lives today. May your spirit work through your word today. May your spirit connect with our spirits and help us to follow however you lead us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so the first one we're going to look at, today's claim, today's statement, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we find this in a couple of places in John. Light. In the Bible, light is associated with things like God's presence, with joy, with blessing, and with life. Darkness is associated with God's absence, sorrow, adversity, and death. So I recently read this story. A man was talking about a friend, and he wrote this. The streetlights weren't working that night as my friend went home late from work. So he took a shortcut through an alleyway, and it was almost, almost pitch dark, pitch black. But he knew the path well enough, and so he wasn't too worried until he heard a noise. 
he heard a noise right in front of him. And so he paused. Are you picturing this? Complete darkness in an alleyway. A noise. And he's just silent. And he thinks, okay, maybe I just, maybe I'm just hearing things because I'm kind of nervous. So he proceeds to walk again and boom, he hears the noise again. Now he's kind of freaked out. He doesn't know what to do. So here's what he does. He says, I'm going to put on my bold, brave face. He says, all right, who is it? Who's there? And he's hoping that his voice is neither too timid nor too threatening. And then he hears a voice say, is that you, Peter? It was his neighbor also walking down the alley the opposite direction. And they were both like, oh, man, I was terrified. Because I couldn't see in the darkness. I didn't know what was out there. Well, sometimes darkness can be scary, but isn't really that threatening. But spiritual darkness, every time, is dangerous. And there are things in spiritual darkness that are out to destroy us. So Jesus, twice in John, says, I am the light of the world. The first time he says it, just a little background before he makes that statement. We looked at this story earlier this year. The religious leaders, they bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And they say, so what should we do? Should we kill her? As the law of Moses says, or should we let her go? They're, again, they're not interested in justice. They're only interested in trapping Jesus. And so Jesus simply says, well, if any of you has never sinned, you just take that stone in your hand and go ahead and throw it at her. And he writes on the ground. No one throws a stone. They all drop them and they walk away. And then Jesus looks up and says to her, where's everybody gone? She said, there's no one to condemn me, sir. And he says, well, you know what? I don't condemn you either, but stop living outside of God's design for your life. Stop sinning. Now, that's the background because what happens right after that scene is this claim of Jesus. John chapter 8 verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus shines light into this woman's dark situation. And then he says that same light, that wisdom, that truth, that hope is available to anyone who follows Jesus. That's you or me or whoever, as Jesus says. Whoever and whoever means whoever. So that's the first time Jesus says he's the light of the world. And then shortly after that in John 9, he says it again. Jesus makes the claim, and now he's going to confirm it. Starting in verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. 
His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, as, as people, when we see sin and suffering, we want to assign blame. We look for the why, the cause, the reason, the person. Sometimes there is just innocent suffering because our world is broken. N.T. Wright says, of course, actions always have consequences. For example, kindness produces gratitude and drunkenness causes car accidents. But this isn't inevitable. Kindness is sometimes scorned. And some drunkards get away with it. In this man's situation, you can't stretch the point back to a previous life or to someone else's sins. No, something much more mysterious and more hopeful is going on. The chaos of this present world is the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. See, in in this man's case, Jesus addresses the issue here on earth. He heals him. For some people, God, however, provides the ultimate healing in heaven. God desires to make us whole, and he will do that either in this life or in the next one. Now, as John's account continues, Jesus makes a spiritual statement, and then he connects it with the physical, as only the I am can do. He, he confirms what he says by what he does. Verse 5 in chapter 9. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, second time, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and then put it on the man, man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. So he went blind. He followed what Jesus said to do. He was still blind. And then he came home seeing. So through this very physical action, Jesus is making a spiritual point. In this miracle and in many others, there's a point that we need to obviously grasp. The physical authority of Jesus confirms the spiritual authority of Jesus. If Jesus has command over the physical things of this life, he also has command over the spiritual things. The gospel, the good news is where God enters this physical world. Where he connects with our lives. God comes as a human being with all power and all authority and makes a difference in every aspect of our lives. In the physical, the relational, the emotional, the financial, the spiritual realms. Jesus wants to be light and truth and hope into every corner of your life. Because the light of Jesus is life. And this takes us back to what's called the prologue in John chapter 1, where it says life is in Jesus, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. You see, this claim of Jesus that he is the light of the world is rooted in deep, mysterious 
theology. This is God, the creator, the light of the world, the I am. In this story, Jesus defeats physical blindness and there's no contest. And Jesus also defeats spiritual blindness and there is no contest there as well. No one else would dare do this because no one else can do this. Now, if I was writing John's gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, I think I might just end the story right there. I mean, that's a pretty good ending. Like the guy comes home, he was blind, and now he sees. Awesome! But one of the great things about the Bible is it never glosses over the reality of life. It never glosses over the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of humanity. And as John continues, he talks about something that's messier than even the the spit and the mud. You see, the people around this man, though they saw the change, they questioned it. And they questioned him. And they questioned Jesus. There's a challenge. We see it starting in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, Nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Some religious leaders, the Pharisees, who claimed to know God but didn't recognize Jesus for who he was, got involved. They questioned the whole situation. And down in verse 24, we're skipping a lot of stuff, so you should read that. But in verse 24, it says, The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. We know this man is a sinner. They had all kinds of problems with Jesus. For a lot of reasons. One of those was that they had this blind devotion to the man-made rules they put on top of what God had said. And they were more committed to that than they were committed to a relationship with God. One of those things was the Sabbath. Man, when God said, remember the Sabbath, they didn't remember it. They like, remember, 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 remembered it. They created all kinds of junk that talked about how you had to keep the Sabbath. And one of those rules that they came up with was this. On the Sabbath, you are not allowed to spit. No spitting on the Sabbath. Why? Not because it's gross, which it kind of is, right? No, because here's the problem. If you spit on the Sabbath and it lands on some dirt, and the dirt is on an incline, and the spit begins to roll downhill, it creates a little bit of a mud ball, 
So you created a mud ball by spitting and creating something is work and you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So that's why you're not allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Seriously? Yeah. Sometimes the stuff that we put on top of what God says is just crazy. These traditions that have nothing to do with the heart of God. In 1903, the Russian czar noticed there was a sentry posted for no apparent reason at this one particular place on the grounds. So why is that guard there? Nobody knew. Guard's always been there. Well, let's find out why the guard is there. There's nothing to guard there. So they researched it. They found out that in 1776, a flower popped up on that location. And Catherine the Great said, I want you to post a sentry there to make sure nobody tramples on that flower. So for 127 years, this flower was protected for no reason. It just points out how our traditions can have nothing to do with reality. Do we ever miss God at work? Because what's happening doesn't fit into our traditions or our predefined boxes of how God works. And those traditions, those boxes, sometimes we are more concerned about them than we are about our relationship with God or other people's relationship with God or our relationship with other people. We want to make sure that we allow the light of Jesus to shine so brightly that it overcomes human traditions and that we are connected with God through relationship, not rules. And when we see the light of Jesus at work, we need to share it with others. Part of the story that you can read again is that the man who used to be blind, his own parents didn't want to answer who they thought Jesus was. They were afraid to stand up against those who stood against Jesus. Why? Because the people who stood against Jesus had the power to kick them out of the synagogue. The synagogue for them was everything. However you feel connected in life, however you feel valued in life, however your social life your community works, that's what this was for them. And by going against those who controlled it, they could be ostracized. And they were terrified. They were afraid. I mean, they had seen amazing transformation in their own son's life, but they said, I don't want to talk about it. When Jesus changes your life, he changes your heart, people are going to notice and people are going to wonder. They're going to watch to see if you've really changed or if this is just some phase thing you're going through. They're going to maybe question your claim that God is the one who's making this change. We will be challenged about Jesus. So it's really important for us to read and to study and to pray and to meditate. And, and as important as it is to have an answer for the hope that we have that's within us, 
something else is vital as well. I love the simple response of this formerly blind man in verse 25. Here's how he answered their accusations. He said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He wasn't going to get into a big theological debate over what happened. He simply said, you know what? Before I met Jesus, this is how my life was. After Jesus got involved in my life, this is how my life is. That's all I know. That is an amazing response. I don't know everything about Jesus, but I know how Jesus changed my life. That's a good response. The light of Jesus changes us and causes us then to shine the light of Jesus to others. Jesus, in Matthew, says he's the light of the world in chapter 5. And a couple of verses later, he says this. He flips it and he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You see, as Jesus shines into us, we reflect who he is. And people see Jesus. There was a man who went to Paris, and while he was there, he bought a special box for his wife. And this box was really cool. The, the people told him, this box will shine in the darkness. And he was like, whoa, I want that box for my wife. So he bought it. He went home. After they had their family reunion dinner, he said, okay, kids, turn the lights off. Check this out. They turn off the lights. And he pulls out of his pocket this box. Except it's as dark as the darkness around them. And he's like, oh, man, I got ripped off. He said, I'm sorry, honey, but still kind of a cool box. Well, the next day, the woman was looking at the box, and she noticed in really small letters, there was some writing. It was in French. She didn't speak French, so magic of the Internet. She gets in and finds a translator and types in these words. And that night, after dark, the box began to glow. And the guy's like, wow, that's cool. What happened? And she told him the story, and she said, guess what it said on the box? It said, if, if you place me in the light all day, I'll shine in the darkness all night. And I think that is an amazing example for us. You can't reflect the light of Jesus if you're not in the light of Jesus. The more we are in the light of Jesus, the more we reflect the light of Jesus in the darkness. We don't know everything about Jesus. But there's one thing we do know. Jesus has changed our hearts. He's changed our lives. So that's our, our challenge today. Our challenge is to fill in a couple of blanks. One thing I know, thanks to God, 
I was whatever that thing in your past was. But now, whatever the present and future reality is because of Jesus. So, how would you fill in those two blanks? What words would you place in each of those? Where is God at work in your life? Where has the light of Jesus made a difference in the last decade, in the last year, in the last month? And if you're struggling to answer, check to see if it's because you're struggling against what God wants to do. We need to let the light of Jesus shine into the places of our hearts that are in confusion, that are in darkness, that are in rebellion. See, there's a key point to why the man changed. Obviously, it was the power of Jesus, but it was also when he did what Jesus said to do, when he obeyed. If you don't obey, don't expect change to happen. Change comes when we obey what Jesus says. God can change your heart, but you have to surrender it. And when you do, God begins to change everything. Our stories of transformation might be almost immediate. They might take years. Most of us are just in process right now of those changes happening. But God will change us. And when God changes us, people will notice. And when people notice, that's a good thing because it gives us an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So today, as we close, we're going to do something a little different. Up here on the stage and on the two tables in the back, there are some cards. And they say that exact same thing. One thing I know, thanks to God, I was fill in the blank. But now, fill in the blank. Take a card. If you want to fill it out at home, you can. But take it with you and let it be a reminder of what God is doing and what God wants to do in your heart. Allow God to shine his light and change everything. Recently, Jesus has been shining his light into the lives of a few people here at Discover who have said yes to him. They've responded for the first time in in a way that is powerful. They've said, God, I, I need to surrender all of my life to you, the whole thing. And I want to meet you in baptism. I want this this amazing transformation to not be limited by my lack of obedience. So I want to say yes. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to obey all the things I've told them. When 
when someone is baptized, there's a complete surrender. The Bible describes it as a death, a burial, and a resurrection, connecting us with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And when we come out of the water, there's nothing magical about the water, but there is something transformational about God's spirit. And God wants to work. So we're excited that we're going to get to see that after the song is done. And if you want to talk with someone about what it means to surrender your heart, or just to talk about your spiritual journey or want to pray, I'll be up here in the front. You can also find one of your life group leaders or another leader here at church. Just let them speak to you about Jesus. Join him. Like the blind man, you can go home seeing. So in a second, we're going to stand, and as we give honor to God, as we praise Him with our hearts and with our voices, go to one of the stations, grab a card, let the light of Jesus shine. Let His story shine into your story. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.